O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be the name of the glory of his kingdom forever and ever. Amen. Good morning, Mishpacha. Welcome to the Daily Audio Torah. I'm Laura Densmore, your host, and I'm so glad you're joining in with me today. Today is Tuesday, September 14. The Day of Atonement, also known as Yom Kippur, is rapidly coming upon us. This year it will be observed from Friday night sundown, September 17th, and all day Saturday, September 18th, to sundown. The Bible tells us that on this day we are to do the following. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Also, the tenth day of the seventh month shall be the day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation for you. You shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. And you shall do no work on that same day, for it is the day of atonement, to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. For any person who is not afflicted in soul on that same day shall be cut off from his people. And any person who does not who does any work on that same day, that person I will destroy from among his people. You shall do no manner of work. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. It shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest, and you shall afflict your souls. On the ninth day of the month, at evening, from evening to evening, you shall celebrate your Sabbath. That's Leviticus 23, verses 26 to 32. The major themes associated with Yom Kippur, or Day of Atonement, are It is known as the Day of Atonement. This is the day that the God of Israel would forgive the sins of his people in a national way. It is known as face to face. This is an idiomatic expression for being in his presence. It is the day, and is recognized as the holiest day in the year. It is known as the fast, a day that we afflict our souls. It is known as the great shofar. It is also known as nila, the closing of the gates of heaven. Yom Kippur is the day when white garments were worn by the high priests. What is the deeper spiritual meaning? White garments are associated with purity, holiness, and with our sins being forgiven. As it is written in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, Come now, and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be like red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Yeshua is our great high priest, and he lives to ever intercede for us, as it is written in Hebrews 7, verses 22 and 25. By so much more, Yeshua has become a surety of a better covenant. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. The blood of Yeshua takes away our sins. The blood of the Messiah reconciles us to the Father. The blood of Messiah gives us eternal redemption. 
The blood is what brings remission of sin. Sin is purged with the shedding of blood. As it is written in Matthew 26:28, For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. And also in Ephesians 1:7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. So we see all kinds of shadow pictures of Yeshua our Messiah in the keeping and celebrating and remembering of the Day of Atonement. Now let's continue our journey through the entire Bible in one year. This week we are reading from the New Living Translation for the Hebrew Scriptures and for the Brit Hadashah. Today we continue the Torah portion that is for Day of Atonement. Numbers 29, 7-11 Ten days later, on the tenth day of the same month, you must call another holy assembly. On that day, the Day of Atonement, the people must go without food and must do no ordinary work. You must present a burnt offering as a pleasing aroma to the Lord. It will consist of one young bull, one ram, and seven one-year-old male lambs, all with no defects. These offerings must be accompanied by the prescribed grain offerings of choice flour moistened with olive oil, six quarts of choice flour with the bull, four quarts of choice flour with the ram, and two quarts of choice flour with each of the seven lambs. You must also sacrifice one male goat for a sin offering. This is in addition to the sin offering of atonement and the regular daily burnt offering with its grain offering and their accompanying liquid offerings. Isaiah 15, 1-18-7 This message came to me concerning Moab. In one night the town of Ar will be leveled, and the city of Ker will be destroyed. Your people will go to their temple in Debon to mourn. They will go to their sacred shrines to weep. They will wail for the fate of Nebo and Mediba, shaving their heads in sorrow and cutting off their beards. They will wear burlap as they wander the streets. From every home and public square will come the sound of wailing. The people of Heshbon and Alela will cry out, Their voices will be heard as far away as Jahaz. The bravest warriors of Moab will cry out in utter terror. They will be helpless with fear. My heart weeps for Moab. Its people flee to Zoar and Eglah, Shalisha. Weeping, they climb the road to Luhith. Their cries of distress can be heard all along the road to Horonaim. Even the waters of Nimrim are dried up. The grassy banks are scorched. The tender plants are gone. Nothing green remains. The people grab their possessions and carry them across the ravine of willows. A cry of distress echoes through the land of Moab from one end to the other. From Eglam to Beer Elam, the stream near Debon turns red with blood. But I am still not finished with Debon. Lions will hunt down the survivors, but those who try to escape and those who remain behind... Send lambs from Selah as tribute to the ruler of the land. Send them through the desert to the mountain of beautiful Zion. The women of Moab are left like homeless birds at the shadow crossings of the Arnon River. Help us, they cry, 
Defend us against our enemies. Protect us from their relentless attack. Do not betray us now that we have escaped. Let our refugees stay among you. Hide them from our enemies until the terror is past. When oppression and destruction have ended, and enemy raiders have disappeared, then God will establish one of David's descendants as king. He will rule with mercy and truth. He will always do what is just and be eager to do what is right. We have heard about proud Moab, about its pride and arrogance and rage. But all that boasting has disappeared. The entire land of Moab weeps. Yes, everyone in Moab mourns for the cakes of raisins from Ker Hereseth. They are all gone now. The farms of Heshbon are abandoned. The vineyards at Sibma are deserted. The rulers of the nations have broken down Moab, that beautiful grapevine. Its tendrils spread north as far as the town of Jazer and trailed eastward into the wilderness. Its shoots reached so far west that they crossed over the Dead Sea. So now I weep for Jazer and the vineyards of Sibma. My tears will flow for Heshbon and Alela. There are no more shouts of joy over your summer fruits and harvest. Gone now is the gladness, gone the joy of harvest. There will be no singing in the vineyards, no more happy shouts, no treading of grapes in the wine presses. I have ended all their harvest joys. My heart's cry from Moab is like a lament on a harp. I am filled with anguish for Ker Hereseth. The people of Moab will worship at their pagan shrines, but it will do them no good. They will cry to the gods in their temples, but no one will be able to save them. The Lord has already said these things about Moab in the past, but now the Lord says within three years, counting each day, the glory of Moab will be ended. From its great population, only a feeble few will be left alive. This message came to me concerning Damascus. Look, the city of Damascus will disappear. It will become a heap of ruins. The towns of Aurora will be deserted. Flocks will graze in the streets and lie down undisturbed, with no one to chase them away. The fortified towns of Israel will also be destroyed, and the royal power of Damascus will end. All that remains of Syria will share the fate of Israel's departed glory, declares the Lord of Heaven's armies. In that day Israel's glory will grow dim, its robust body will waste away. The whole land will look like a grain field after the harvesters have gathered the grain. It will be desolate, like the fields in the valley of Rephaim, After the harvest, only a few of its people will be left, like stray olives left on a tree, after the harvest. Only two or three remain in the highest branches, four or five scattered here and there on the limbs, declares the Lord, the God of Israel. Then at last the people will look to their Creator and turn their eyes to the Holy One of Israel. They will no longer look to their idols for help or worship what their own hands have made. They will never again bow down to their Asherah poles or worship at the pagan shrines they have built. Their largest cities will be like a deserted forest, like the land of the Hivites and Amorites abandoned when the Israelites came here so long ago. It will be utterly 
desolate. Why? Because you have turned from the God who can save you. You have forgotten the rock who can hide you. So you may plant the finest grapevines and import the most expensive seedlings. They may sprout on the day you set them out. Yes, they may blossom on the very morning you plant them. But you will never pick any grapes from them. Your only harvest will be a load of grief and unrelieved pain. Listen, the armies of many nations roar like the roaring of the sea. Hear the thunder of the mighty forces as they rush forward like thundering waves. But though they thunder like breakers on a beach, God will silence them and they will run away. They will flee like chaff scattered by the wind, like a tumbleweed whirling before a storm. In the evening Israel waits in terror, but by dawn its enemies are dead. This is the just reward of those who plunder us, a fitting end for those who destroy us. Listen, Ethiopia, land of fluttering sails, that lies at the headwaters of the Nile, that sends ambassadors in swift boats down the river. Go, swift messengers, take a message to a small, smooth-skinned people who are feared far and wide for their conquests and destruction and whose land is divided by rivers. All you people of the world, everyone who lives on the earth, when I raise my battle flag on the mountain, look. When I blow the ram's horn, listen. For the Lord has told me this, I will watch quietly from my dwelling place, as quietly as the heat rises on a summer day, or as the morning dew forms during the harvest, even before you begin your attack, while your plans are ripening like grapes, the Lord will cut off your new growth with pruning shears. He will snip off and discard your spreading branches. Your mighty army will be left dead in the fields for the mountain vultures and wild animals. The vultures will tear at the corpses all summer. The wild animals will gnaw at the bones all winter. At that time, the Lord of Heaven's armies will receive gifts from this land divided by rivers, from this tall, smooth-skinned people, who are feared far and wide for their conquests and destruction. They will bring the gifts to Jerusalem, where the Lord of Heaven's armies dwells. Galatians 1, 1-24 This letter is from Paul, an apostle. I was not appointed by any group of people or any human authority, but by Yeshua himself and by God the Father, who raised Yeshua from the dead. All the brothers and sisters here join me in sending this letter to the churches of Galatia. May God the Father and our Lord Jesus give you grace and peace. Yeshua gave his life for our sins, just as God our Father planned, in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but is not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Yeshua. Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us, or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preached to you. I say again what we have said before. If anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcomed, let that person be cursed. 
Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. Dear brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that the gospel message I preach is not based on mere human reasoning. I received my message from no human source, and no one taught me. Instead, I received it by direct revelation from Yeshua. You know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion, how I violently persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. I was far ahead of fellow Jews in my zeal for the traditions of my ancestors. But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by His marvelous grace. Then it pleased Him to reveal His Son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Yeshua to the Gentiles. When this happened, I did not rush out to consult with any human being, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to consult with those who were apostles before I was. Instead, I went away into Arabia, and later I returned to the city of Damascus. Then, three years later, I went to Jerusalem to get to know Peter, and I stayed with him for fifteen days. The only other apostle I met at that time was James, the Lord's brother. I declare before God that what I am writing to you is not a lie. After that visit, I went north into the provinces of Syria and Cilicia, and still the churches in Christ that are in Judea didn't know me personally. All they knew was that people were saying, The one who used to persecute us is now preaching the very faith he tried to destroy, and they praised God because of me. Psalm 58, 1-11 Justice, do you rulers know the meaning of the word? Do you know? Do you judge the people fairly? No. You plot injustice in your hearts. You spread violence throughout the land. These wicked people are born sinners, even from birth. They have lied and gone their own way. They spit venom like deadly snakes. They are like cobras that refuse to listen, ignoring the tunes of the snake charmers, no matter how skillfully they play. Break off their fangs, O God. Smash the jaws of these lions, O Lord. May they disappear like water into thirsty ground. May their weapons useless, make their weapons useless in their hands. May they be like snails that dissolve into slime, like a stillborn child who will never see the sun. God will sweep them away, both young and old, faster than a pot heats over burning thorns. The godly will rejoice when they see injustice avenged. They will wash their feet in the blood of the wicked. Then at last everyone will say, There truly is a reward for those who live for God. Surely there is a God who judges justly here on earth. Proverbs 23.12 Commit yourself to instruction. Listen carefully to words of knowledge. I want to speak to you today from um, Isaiah chapter 17, verses 1 through 3. And this chapter often gets much attention because it's a future prophetic prophecy 
about an event that has not yet happened. But in light of recent events that are now unfolding, I think we're closer to the fulfillment of this prophecy than ever before. Let's look at those verses. Isaiah chapter 17, starting in verse 1. The message came to me concerning Damascus. Look, the city of Damascus will disappear. It will become a heap of ruins. The towns of Aurora will be deserted. Flocks will graze in the streets and lie down undisturbed, with no one to chase them away. The fortified towns of Israel will also be destroyed, and the royal power of Damascus will end. All that remains of Syria will share the fate of Israel's departed glory, declares the Lord of Heaven's armies, Yahweh Saviot. Now, if you've been following events in the news recently, uh, Damascus and Syria has fallen into the hands, the power and the control of the Taliban. And sadly, hundreds of Americans were left behind and did not get out in time. And as of this recording, no more flights are leaving Damascus to bring uh, U.S. citizens or other foreign nationals out. They are just left behind. And the other thing that's of deep concern is that the Taliban, several weeks before the fall of Damascus into the hands of the Taliban, uh, I think August 30th or the 31st was the last day that U.S. troops were technically allowed to be on Afghan soil. Um, back in July, towards the end of July, there was a significant meeting between Taliban leaders and Chinese leaders. The Chinese embassy remains open in Afghanistan, and there are warm relations between the new Taliban government and China. In addition, the Russians have very positive relations with Afghanistan and with the new leaders of the Taliban. What does this mean? It's a shift in power in the Middle East. And if the Taliban is now uh, in good standing with Russia and China, two of America's sworn enemies, um, they may well try to flex their muscles. And there could very well be an incursion into Israel. I would not be surprised if the Taliban also has cozy relations with Iran. And the Taliban was left with over $80 billion in equipment, trucks, weapons, ammunitions. Uh, American equipment was left behind, and so now the Taliban is probably the best equipped and best supplied terrorist organization in the world. So what does this all mean? What could happen? What's the possible scenario that could unfold? Well, Iran is a terrorist-sponsoring nation, and they sponsor uh, Hezbollah and Hamas in attacking and harassing Israel with all kinds of terrorist attacks. So now the Taliban could become part of that coalition of organizations that um, attack Israel. If the Taliban and Afghanistan get involved in any kind of... Um, Let's say they start sending missiles 
at Israel, slinging them at Israel. And it's overwhelming. There's over 120,000 missiles that Hezbollah alone in northern Lebanon has pointed at Israel. And if they were all launched at once, it would be an overwhelming assault that could be a clear and present danger, an existential threat to Israel. Israel would have no choice but to initiate the Samson option. And the Samson option is um, using a nuclear missile, a very focused laser accurately, laser pinpoint accurate nuclear missile uh, pointing at whoever it is that is being an existential threat. So if Tel Aviv were, for example, to be attacked by, say, the Taliban from Afghanistan, um, Israel would have no choice but to fight back. And they could very likely send their missile to Damascus. And then this prophecy would be fulfilled. Damascus would disappear and it would become a heap of ruins. But notice that it says in verse 3, the fortified towns of Israel will also be destroyed. Why might that be? Because there's a war going on between Syria and Israel. That would explain why We see Damascus in ruins, and we see Israeli towns also destroyed. So, beloved, I believe we are getting closer to this scenario being fulfilled. So it is time that we intercede and we pray for Israel like never before, that they would be on high alert, that they would be aware, that they would be ready and prepared for any such attack that could come at them. I don't believe that Israel would do a first strike, but I do believe Israel will defend itself when the if and when they are attacked. So let us keep Israel in our prayers. Amen. Have a blessed day, and we'll see you tomorrow. Vish Mareka Yaya Adonai Anavilaka Vikuneka Yisa Adonai The Aaronic Blessing from Numbers chapter 6, 24 to 26. Adonai bless you and keep you. Adonai make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Adonai lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.